Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the Everyday Association professional. I'm Chris Beeman, your host. Annually, ISAE hosts the Society's Top Awards Recognition, or as we call it, Star Awards, at the end of the year. This is a special evening to celebrate the success of our colleagues who help strengthen the local association industry. One of the biggest awards presented is Executive of the Year, which is given at the end of the night. This award is truly a pinnacle of success for a local association leader, and many of us in the audience, including me as I'm there every year, are left wondering, what does it take to become Executive of the Year? Today, as we celebrate our guest again for her achievement, we're hoping she will give us some insight into her big win, what it means to be an executive of a nonprofit, and the tools for being a leader. Mary Ann Passy, CAE, is the Chief Executive Officer of the Corporate Housing Providers Association. As CEO, she leads strategic oversight and direction of the association, as well as key collaborative relationships for the organization. With more than 25 years experience in managing nonprofit organizations, she heads a staff team that partners with passionate industry professionals to ensure the association thrives as a voice for its industry. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks, Chris. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. It's nice to meet you as well. And I hope you're ready for this. We've got so many questions for you. Well, it's ready as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> great, great. All right. So to get us started, could you tell listeners just a little bit about your background? Sure, Chris. I'm happy to. Well, like many of my colleagues and probably many people listening today, I fell into association management. So I um, started law school, hated law school, quit law school, and wasn't sure what I was going to do, but had a lot of practical working experience as an undergraduate. And so I, long story short, landed uh, my first position um, as uh, director of membership for the Women's Council of Realtors, an affiliate of the National Association of Realtors here in Chicago. So I think I got that position. The organization was predominantly female, um, as you could guess by the name. And I went to an all-girl high school and had some leadership positions in uh, that regard, some leadership positions in college. So they thought they'd take a chance on me and throw me in association management with supporting uh, 18,000 members, 350 chapters across the country. And that's how my association life began. Wow. Wow. And I think that's, I mean, that has to resonate with so many of our listeners. So many of us fell into association work. You know, we didn't know when we were growing up, I'm going to be an association leader. Yeah, here we are. So no, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thinking back to earlier, earlier this spring, what did it mean to you to win the star award for executive of the year? Do you remember them calling your name and, and what was that moment like? Well, I don't remember them calling my name, really, because I did not know I was nominated. So I had I knew that our team had put up several programs for award wins. And so that's why I thought I was coming in. And so I was looking at a former colleague who happened to be sitting at my table who had her phone up and she's recording. I thought the stage I was between her and the stage. So she's recording me. And I thought that was weird. And then all of a sudden they're talking, you know, and they're mentioning Rob Riggs was doing the announcement and he's positioning the award. He's all of a sudden he starts saying things and he caught my attention specifically when he mentioned a coalition 
on environmental sustainability that I serve on on behalf of our association. And I thought, oh, what? wait, that doesn't sound right. And my daughter happened to be with me and it was just, you know, that wasn't necessarily unusual. Unusual she was coming to Star Wars, but not unusual that she might accompany me on a business trip. And so just to check out other cities or whatever. And so I, I'm poking her in the back and I'm like, I think that's me. And she wouldn't look at me because she's laughing at me. And so she wouldn't turn her head and she wouldn't make eye contact. So it was, it was very surreal. There was really a slow realization that they were talking about me. And again, as I said, I didn't know I was nominated. So I was not anticipating winning. And I was really walking to the stage before I realized I was even walking to the stage because I knew I had to get to the stage. <laughs> we don't enough of these award, award presentations that it was, it was just very odd. And I really don't remember what I said. Right. So, I was going to say, best, best I recall, they asked, you know, for award win individual award winners to give speeches. Do you remember what you said to the crowd? I remember saying it takes a village. I remember getting, up. I looked out and saw my team, um, saw my daughter, saw, you know, my mentors, one of my mentors, Leslie Murphy, another one, Mark McSweeney, on stage with me and getting all choked up, but not a clue what I said beyond that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was a very emotional time. So you've mentioned your team. And you, in, you mentioned that you were nominated for um, the award. In your opinion, from your perspective, what, what do you think motivated your team to nominate you? Well, I believe it's the spirit of collaboration we have on our team, of always having each other's backs, of truly being a team and always wanting, and my always wanting the best for them um, and leading as best I can. I've shared my struggles to lead uh, during the pandemic, especially and transparently, and I, I've always been open when I don't know the answer. So from feedback I received, because I ask, we work for an AMC, we work for Rayburn Group International. And so for my review, I always ask that my team be allowed the opportunity to give me some, some feedback so that I know what they're thinking. Um, but they're, they're not shy to let me know <laughs> what they're thinking. So I think it's that openness, that willingness to, to work together. And then the willingness to at times not make the most popular decision and sticking with it that has that led them to nominate me. Thank you so much for sharing that insight, Marianne. Appreciate that. So for this next question, let's pull back the curtain just a little bit for our listeners. On your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as someone who, in quotes, successfully achieves strategic growth through innovative solutions, collaborative relationships, and effective communications. So let's talk specifics. Uh, walk us through what a Monday morning looks like to you, maybe compared to a Friday afternoon and how you prioritize your day. Well, Monday mornings over the last couple of years have been a little rough since that seems to be direct report days or regular meetings with either a board chair or some internal meetings with staff. And I think like everybody, we're struggling with trying to do too much with too little after going through the pandemic and leading our organizations through the pandemics as well. But in terms of prioritizing my day, mornings, I like to leave open for writing or editing since that's when I'm, I'm a morning person. So that's when I edit or write best or effectively look at any of the communications we have around messaging with members, messaging with the board. So that's usually what I like to tackle in the morning or if it's, if it's larger strategic issues that need thinking, you know, could be board agenda or working on a board report or how to position something with the board or financial reporting, things like that. I like to do that up front. I like to save the 
meetings with collaborative partners, if it's other organizations, because I'm involved in several uh, collaborations with other associations currently in uh, my role for CHPA, or if it's meetings with the team internally to work on certain projects, that usually takes up most of the rest of the day. On the end of the day, really just try to get a handle on what I need to tackle moving forward. I'm terrible at making to-do lists or keeping too much of it in my head. So at least at the end of the day, trying to add that to my calendar or I'm trying to at least get better at putting it into our project management system. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear that the executive of the year also struggles to make to-do lists. I feel like I'm in good company here, Marianne. You are. You are. And uh, something I'm struggling to make a regular part of my day is carving out time to do some strategic thinking. So just really giving myself quiet time, which is really hard to do. So that kind of stuff happens either beginning of the day or end of the day when I'm not needing to be available for either my team or our members contacting us. Sure, sure. I love that you mentioned that strategic thinking carve out time. And I've been on, so I'm the type of person where my best ideas are on the treadmill. Uh, when I'm on, you know, uh, you know, training for a 5K or something, I was just on a call yesterday. Someone said their best thinking time is on an airplane for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know if it's the higher altitude or just the excitement of travel or, or whatever. Where do you find that your best ideas come from when you're thinking about carving out that time for strategic thinking? So we adopted a pandemic puppy. And so it seems to be walking the dog. But I did real or read something about whenever we're doing something other than what we're trying to focus on. So when you're relaxing, your mind automatically goes to continue to try to solve something you've been struggling with. So it's as soon as you, like, as you mentioned on the treadmill, you're relaxing, you're getting endorphins, you're just doing something else different than what you're trying to solve for. And that's when your most creative ideas will come to you. So it's when I'm actually at times sitting in a conference or an educational event and just something someone may say will trigger an idea. And then I, I'm sorry, but I'm not listening anymore. And then I'm writing down something um, because it's, it's suddenly clicked that that is the solution I've been looking for, or at least the beginning of a solution. So I think it comes at any time, but usually not when I want it to, and not when I've carved out time for strategic thinking. It's just, it's usually walking the dog. Right, yeah. right. It's it's not going to come to you when the Word document or Excel spreadsheet's open. It's going to come to you in the least, or the, I'm sorry, the most inconvenient time. Absolutely. When you're going to put down with, sure. Right. When I mid-run on a treadmill and my phone, you know, I could always talk to text or something into it, but so let's let's shift gears a little bit and think a little bit more broadly here. How would you define leadership? Well, I knew you were going to ask this question, so I've been thinking about it a little bit. I think some good qualities of leader, I'll take that first. And I think that's, I wouldn't say easier, but a little bit more clearly defined. Um, for me, it's collaboration, um, decisiveness, a willingness to evolve and change, taking calculated chances and sometimes uh, being a lone voice out there and not sure what you know is the right path or direction or decision for your organization or yourself or your team. So I guess defining leadership, which I've never really done consciously, I guess, 
taking the initiative to do something. So to try something, to improve whatever it is in front of you. If it's an organization, if it's a person struggling with an issue that they can't tackle on their own, it's a willingness to help make something better or stronger and more of what it was meant to be. At least for me personally, that's what it means to be a leader. It can be an organization. It can be a friendship. It can be a person that just might need support to reach their goals. So to me, a leader just helps facilitate them. And when you, when did you, I guess, you mentioned in your introduction that you sort of fell into association management, like, like, you know, 90% of us, I'd say. When did you realize, I guess, at what point did you realize you wanted to dedicate your career to the field and ultimately be at that highest level of leadership as an executive director? Well, I think it came in stages, but as a lot of young professionals do, looking at people that you're working with. And I had a, a really great mentor, a wonderful uh, leader as my first executive vice president in associations. Ironically, I've, since my first association was female focused, uh, most of my bosses, actually all of them have been women. So I just interestingly enough, I, when I was just looking back on it and my first boss, we still meet for dinner occasionally, even now. And just, I was very intrigued by what she did because I, because it was more than just membership, right? I mean, membership or, or any department within associations, you tend to get a little bit siloed. You're working on the same thing you know, all the time. I mean, there's only so exciting you can make news renewal notices and, you know, newsletters to members at that time. It was still newsletters, printed, printed invoices, all of that. So, and I thought, okay, well, this is interesting, but some of the things she was working on and her work with the board, I found really intriguing. And so I knew I couldn't necessarily do that where I was and captive standalone association. And so I looked for opportunities where I could get a more generalist education, if you will, and experience in associations. And so I went to work for a small uh, AMC where I worked on multiple clients uh, in different titles, depending on the client. Uh, and so wanted to really expand that. And as part of that, I became more interested and wanted to get my CAE so that I could then support them with the ultimate goal of being an you know, executive director someday. That's amazing. I think, you know, it's, it's, again, we all sort of fall into this. And I think as we think about what our futures look like, you know, I think it does, to your point, matter whether we're on big teams or small teams. Just from my own personal experience, it does feel like those larger teams are where there are more silos that tend to exist. There are people that are sort of head down, focused on one specific thing. But on the smaller teams, the more agile teams, you get more of that broader, more valuable experience in association management because you have the opportunity to kind of kind of dip your toe a little bit into everything, which is which is actually kind of fun, you know, I think at least. I agree. And and what I liked the ability to do, and even at my current name, every AMC, most AMCs, People are struggling on multiple clients at times, right? And that you have competing deadlines, competing priorities. But what I always felt it allowed me to do was switch gears. And when I couldn't make a progress on whatever client or whatever issue I was working on, there was something else that I could do that could take my mind off it. You know, we just talked about how do you come up with some solutions or how do you, you know, think strategically or 
or get to your end result. And it was the switching gears I found to be more invigorating and, and get myself out of the silo or get myself out of a rut. So switching back and forth between gears, while it can be challenging, also affords an opportunity to just think differently. And then exposure to different industries and different associations and different leadership styles. That's where I came across, some, I think, consciously, some of my first great leaders that I look to pull lessons from and how they ran board meetings, how they ran committee meetings, how they just um, held themselves even in, within their own organizations or professions or industries. So, you know, that's, that's always an opportunity. So take advantage of those opportunities wherever they present themselves to you. Absolutely. And you, you've mentioned this a couple of times, but our industry is very people oriented and, and we meet a lot of people along the way. We work with a lot of people along the way. Some may say we deal with a lot of people along the way, you know, and I, you've worked with a lot of leaders and, and I know recognize sometimes it can be tough to talk about yourself, but what, what separates you from other leaders, Marianne? Hmm. I don't know. You know, when you ask that question, I'm really just me. So I try to take something from education or a conversation or a leader that I've supported that seems to work for them and see how I can tweak it and make it my own and see how I can apply it to current challenges or opportunities that we're facing. So kind of to creatively make it fit. So I've had former colleagues that have commented on how I can be crazy creative. And sometimes my team will say, that's enough. We're a month out from conference, no more crazy ideas. But another thing that my team, I think, has mentioned to me uh, on occasion that uh, we all work really hard to make our associations successful, and, but that I'll do whatever it takes to make our team, our organization, our AMC be successful and get the job done. So, for example, like at a recent conference, I was the first one in on our team. And so they delivered the skids. So I broke down the skids and I set up the office. And apparently, not every executive director or CEO does that. But I'm like, so whatever's in front of us or whatever is in front of me, you know, I tend to jump into. So I don't know if that separates me from other leaders. I'm just mentioning things that have mentioned to me. You know, the world's been working remotely for the last couple of years. I've been working remotely for the last couple of decades. So it's, I feel like at times, I don't know if I'm emulating the best leadership behavior or being by myself uh, in my you know, home office. So I really look to opportunities to be in the office, be with other leaders and try and pick up just tidbits and some tips on how to be more effective. Well, I, I think a big part of it, I've, I've had this conversation with other leaders and there's a sense of humility that comes, which I very much appreciate. You know, your first response is, I don't know, I'm just me. And that's, you know, I think that there's sort of reality. A lot of times leadership skills, yes, they're learned and developed, but I think they're oftentimes inherent to who we are as leaders. And I think it's about finding the right people, the right mentors to draw that out. And it sounds like you, you've had that experience, which is, which is amazing. And, you know, I've had similar experiences in ISAE and kind of adjacent to, you've mentioned Leslie Murphy already, just kind of the team that she's built. Uh, she's one of those people that I think helps to draw out those skills and abilities and people. But you also, it's interesting, you, you mentioned the skid at the event and I love that because kind of tying it with a personal experience, the one of my greatest visions uh, that I've ever seen in leadership was the dean of the College of Education at Butler University. She's since retired, 
Um, but she's a huge inspiration for me still. And she used that acronym Dean and she broke it down to doing everything as needed. And she lived that. If the skid needed broken down, she was going to do that. If a new strategic plan needed to be built with the board, you know, the her board, she was going to do that and everything in between. And she she not only talked the talk, but she walked the walk. You saw that in her. So I guess sort of connecting you with with someone I love and hold dearly. I appreciate that um, you do that for your team, that you're stepping in to do everything as needed. Well, that's very kind of you, Chris. I appreciate that. But I, I mean, I don't know. That's how I came up through associations and uh, that those are the mentors that I saw. So I guess I've always just thought that's the right way, right way to lead. Yeah, absolutely. It's just you do what needs to be done. Right, right. That's amazing. A little bit of real talk for our for our listeners for this next question. So, so many professionals right now, young, mid-career veteran staff members alike are experiencing burnout these days. Have you, have you ever felt this burnout in your career? And if so, how did you deal with it? Yes, is the short answer. And at different times in my career, not with the most recent, I should say, being, you know, during the pandemic, post-pandemic, how I dealt with it, I guess it depends on where I was in my career or where we were in our lives. So I remember going in for a checkup and just thinking, I must be, you know, struggling with depression or anxiety when our kids were young. And my doctor looks at me, she's like, let me get this straight. You work full time. You have two kids under three. You work from home. You travel in business and you run a nonprofit. I'm like, yes. She goes, you're just tired. I'm like, okay, it's great. But you're not knowing how to, how to deal with that. So just trying to take time for yourself and however you decompress, I think is really important during the pandemic. Some associations got crazy, crazy busy. Ours was one of them. And try, many did in trying to support their members through a very difficult, challenging time globally. And so that just wore on you. So realizing that there is, there is always going to be more work. Take the time to recharge and re-energize yourself, whatever that might be. So I mentioned walking the dog. I am a very bad practicing or someone that tries to practice meditation, but I have realized that just a, a break and just trying to clear my mind for a few minutes a day has been very helpful. And, and just walking away um, from my desk sometimes doesn't matter what time it is. Um, I think working from home has afforded a lot of people the opportunity to take breaks in their day that they didn't before. And you should do that. I mean, the job is always going to be here and there's always something more that we can do or we feel that we can do even if we've done something successfully. So it's, it's taking those breaks. If it's um, grabbing a coffee and not eating it or and breakfast and not eating it at your laptop like I tend to do or lunch at your laptop, but just making a break between um, professional and personal, I think that's really important to, to decompress and recognize those signs or give yourself those breaks before it comes to a critical point. I mean, I, I, and I've gotten to that point before, you know, just bursting in tears at a conference because there was so much work going up to it and then just losing it in the staff office, you know, that happened, you know, to me before. And so don't, don't get to that point. Like, don't let yourself get to that point. And I think that's something younger professionals do better than those of us that are not as early on in our career, you know, I see that even in um, our children who are working professionals today, 
that there is more of a focus on quality of life, mental and physical well-being and wellness. Listen to those signs. Don't let yourself get burnt out. Sure, absolutely. And I, I feel like I've seen some of that as well in, in younger generations. You know, even with millennials, when I first started in my career, and I still sort of feel this, it was almost as if we would ask for breaks. You know, do you mind if I step away for 30 minutes to go get a cup of coffee? Or do you, you know, is this, and now what I'm hearing is I am stepping away for 30 minutes to go get coffee. And so I love kind of that ownership of, we are, we are seeing that trend of taking care of ourselves. And I also feel like to your, to you, to the conversation earlier about switching gears, whether it's between clients or tasks, I feel like there are some really natural breaks in our day where we can step up. You know, when things, when I, send an email that's, you know, I've needed to send for a little bit and it's got all the Word documents attached. I can feel good about that. Step away for a minute before I go and find my next item on my non-existent to-do list. You know what I mean? Before I address that next email. But yeah, I love that thinking about where are those points in our day where we can take a little bit of a breather, reconnect with ourselves, feel how we're doing, that type of thing. I love that. Do you generally have a uh, philosophy that you live or work by? I guess I mentioned it a little bit earlier in terms of um, philosophy, leaving something better than how I found it, if that makes sense. So for me, that's, I find that personally, professionally fulfilling. I think the older I get, the more important it is to me to be more personally fulfilled on, on that front too. So if I can help in some way, if there's some way I can contribute I can make something better than how I found it. That that's really important to me. That's that's really incredible. I think if we all lived by that philosophy, the world would look better, right? Because we would be all setting out to make things look better by others and by ourselves. That's that's fantastic. So, what are some of your personal favorite resources about leadership that you would be willing to share with our audience? Whether it's podcasts, books, speakers, personalities. Um, well, I listen to podcasts more frequently. I think the world listens to podcasts more frequently since the pandemic, and I've gotten into them more. And and I usually do that again when walking the dog. And there's a variety of things that I'll listen to. But I've also found autobiographies or biographies of people that are leaders in their own way, and reading those or listening to those, which I really wasn't interested in earlier in my life. So I find those very intriguing to see how people have dealt with the struggles or the challenges in their life and how they overcame them or how they changed the path of their life to deal with them. I read a book and listened to, I don't was a podcast or a webinar from these authors, but The Confidence Code that talks about, I really found that to be a really important book, especially for young female leaders. And I've given it to, I have six goddaughters. I've given it to my goddaughters. I've given it to my daughter. I've given it to my son's girlfriend and other leaders that just talks about the difference in confidence between male leaders and female leaders and that struggling with perfectionism and things like that from a, a female perspective and just give it a shot. Try it, like believe in yourself. And so I found that to be really inspirational. Anything really that gets you thinking differently interests me. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on leadership. It could just be someone who has a great story to tell. You know, we've been, we all know that the stories are what we remember and what resonate with people. And, and we, 
struggle sometimes with, as association executives to tell the story of uh, why our associations are so impactful or, or um, whatever the message may be, but putting it into a story format. So that's really where I find you know, some inspiration just in people's incredible stories and some of the hardships they have overcome and, and realizing too, one, I'm not alone in struggling this and in whatever this might be. And two, there are a lot of worse things that could be happening to me as well. So, you know, appreciating the goodness and the benefits and the opportunities that I have in my life. Well, I think, and I think you said something too, that's important to recognize because we, we sort of hear it, but for those of us not in leadership or top leadership roles, maybe we haven't experienced it yet. And you, you touched on the word lonely and we hear, you know, it can be lonely at the top. And so knowing that you're not alone in some of what you're, you're struggling with and going through is, is critical. And then finding some of those resources to be able to help you with that, I think is, is important for, for our association leaders. Agree. And, and you can always reach out to professional colleagues because we're speaking the same language, right? We understand the challenges we're facing. You mentioned working with a lot of leaders, elected leaders, volunteer leaders. It always kind of amuses me when a chair, board chair will say at the end of their term, wow, your bosses change every year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that must be really hard. Yes, which is why we try and provide you with tools and resources so there's some consistency. But also being able to see volunteer leaders who may be uncertain in, not in their profession or in their um, companies, but, or in their industries, but being uncertain in the leadership role to run their association and being able to support them and seeing their worlds over the year and, or two years, whatever their terms might be and seeing how they have been able to flourish and how you've been able to support them. That's, that's really fulfilling too, but taking some of the tips on how they're bringing their outside leadership style into the association can often make you think of things differently as well. So that's pretty, pretty interesting to watch as well. Well, Marianne, this has been such an eye-opening and inspirational, truly conversation for me. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be here with you. Before we wrap up, I'm curious, do you have any advice that you want to leave people with who might just be starting out their careers? Well, if we're going to stick with the leadership, I would say you don't need the title to be a leader. Don't wait for the title to be a leader. If there's something you're curious about or something you want to know something more about, try it. Um, volunteer for the project, the initiative, the research that someone, you know, no one else wants to do. Try it. I mean, try the new things. And also just don't be afraid to take chances and advocate for yourself. That'd be my tip. And oh, I'm sorry. And of course, get involved with ISAE or your professional association. Oh. I will say, I mean, the, the connections that you make uh, throughout your professional associations and just the community that you can be part of that, as I said before, speaks the same language and can share the, their perspectives and their lessons learned. Those are invaluable. So get involved that way too. Yeah, you get to you get to hang out with cool people like Mary Ann Passy if you if you're a part of ISAE and no, but all joking aside, Mary Ann, like I said, this has been this has been amazing. I cannot wait for our readers or listeners. Man, where am I? 
I don't know. We might just leave that in. All right. So I, this is, like I said, this has been fantastic. I've so enjoyed um, our conversation today. We hope you all enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info at Thanks again. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, Chris.